Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I really just want to get into the show today. There is a lot to talk about, and we have a fantastic guest who is here to talk about what it's like for boys and girls today because so many are dissatisfied with their bodies and at such a young age you know if you're dissatisfied with your body it can really lead to serious problems including depression and eating disorders and our guest here today wrote two books for boys and girls um, and it really addresses the issues can some of those kids who have body image worries and issues can those worries be eased and Dr. Charlotte Markey is here. She wrote two books, like I said, one for girls, one for boys. She's a body image expert and psychology professor who helps girls and boys ages 9 to 15 in her books to understand, accept, and appreciate their bodies. And in those books, she provides all the facts on puberty, mental health, self-care, and also answers questions as to why diets are bad news and helps girls and boys deal with social media issues and everything in between. So in these books, girls and boys will find answers to questions that they always really wanted to ask and really get the truth behind really why body image myths are inaccurate and hear real life stories from other boys and girls who share their own experiences. So here to tell us all about it is the author herself. And like I said, just really excited for her to tell you all about how she got to writing these books and all about what's in them. So with that being said, I'm going to bring her on to the show. All right. So Charlotte, welcome to the show. I'm very excited that you're here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be talking with you. Okay. So great books that you've written. Um, I'm just curious, how did you come up with the idea to write them? Yeah, so I had started writing um, more for adults, right? So for either like newspaper type articles, or I wrote one book that was um, aimed at adults. And uh, I just started thinking more and more like, sometimes by the time we're adults, we have so many habits and attitudes about these issues that are really hard to change. And wouldn't it be great if kids like mine and yours just never got to adulthood with those sorts of problematic attitudes and behaviors. And so I thought, you know, let's see if I can float this. If anyone will go along with this idea of aiming a book um, at tweens and teens. And I think also, um, you know, my own daughter, when I worked on the body image book for girls was probably about 11 when I was starting that project. And we were, um, we had been reading like puberty books together and stuff. And I noticed that they would mention eating and body image a little bit, but not very much and not necessarily in the ways that I wanted to. 
Um, and I thought, you know, like this general concept is great of a lot of these puberty books, so much better than when I was a kid. Um, but can we improve upon it in terms of these particular topics and then expand? So um, I think that was probably a big part of it was just almost thinking, what would I give my own kids? And um, and so, yeah, before I knew it, I had my my own daughter like proofreading chapters. So it's kind of just the rest is history. So were there, it's interesting that, right, so she's of that age and what popped in your mind in terms of like what was like specifically missing? I think I just wanted more content was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And the focus on, you know, food is very nutrition focused, mm -hmm. um, which I think there's some value in that. And I include a little bit of that in the books as well. But my approach in talking about specific nutrition information is typically like, yes, this is important to eat everything and don't worry about it. And um, it's almost, uh, you know, like I'm trying to correct for all the cultural messages we get that demonize like every food at one point or another. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in other sorts of health related books for kids, I feel like the nutrition information is much more focused on make sure you eat this and make sure you eat that. And, um, and so I don't really love that approach, especially with, with kids. Um, who I think really internalize that and then start to sort of moralize those lessons. And, um, you know, you start talking good and bad foods with kids that can be, um, that, you know, the sorts of dichotomies can really stick in a way that then um, kids think that they're bad if they have something sweet. And that's just not, given my own research in this area for so long, how I've raised my kids at all. You know, they have, something sweet or dessert like food probably most days but because that's never been forbidden it's never really a big deal like they don't really take you know they can kind of take it or leave it oftentimes which is I think a healthy psychologically healthy way for them to um, approach food and I love that you're saying that because I've uh, been asked so many times from parents like well, of course, you know, how can you say there's not good or bad foods? And, you know, isn't it my job as a parent to keep them away from the bad foods? Like, I'm not, I'm not keeping them healthy or doing them any good if I don't teach them that there are good and bad foods. Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, that's a very common question I get. So I'm really glad you put that out there. Um, so if a parent's listening right now going like, what do you mean? Like, how do I know how? how to do this right because uh, I think parents don't get uh, you know a manual on this either they're very confused no I think it's really hard I mean I think feeding kids is one of the hardest things we do as parents and um, there's a lot of conflicting information a lot of misinformation in public spaces mm -hmm. about nutrition um, and a lot of sort of rigidity in terms of how people think about um, I think feeding kids, um, and it's very different than what most of us were brought up with. Um, and so that requires a real reframing for many of us and when we approach our own kids. But most parents I talk to want to do that reframing, want to kind of think about this, 
because, you know, being told they have to eat everything at dinner so that then they could have dessert, they kind of see where maybe that wasn't the best approach, where then they were eating food they really didn't like or kind of developed like a, a sort of tense family dinner time over those rules. Um, you know, so they don't want those things for their kids. They don't want to be like strict about food in those ways. They don't want food to be a source of conflict. Um, and so they're willing to talk about it, but you're right. It's really confusing and foreign in some ways. And, um, you know, I think people often probably assume when we say there are no real good and bad foods, that this means we just let our kids eat whatever they want, whenever, you know, like we just have sugar cereal and candy. We just leave it all on the counter. They can just do whatever they want. And it's not, to that extreme either. You know, I mean, there's this middle ground where, yes, there are some sweets in the house. Yes, if they want a certain cereal, I will buy it, even if it seems like it is made of pure sugar. Um, but do I have it all continually stocked up? So that's all there is? No, like there's fruits, there's vegetables, there's other snacks that um, may be more nutritious and just sort of trying to create um, you know, just a variety of options so that none of it feels like forbidden fruit. But yeah, they can, with age, come to appreciate that if you just eat candy for dinner, you're going to have an upset stomach. Like that's not really what you want to do. And, you know, I encourage parents, let them try that a couple of times. And like that problem can solve itself um, if you're having a big conflict about those sorts of issues. Um, but if you keep saying, no, 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 you can't have it, that tends to um, create a whole other set of psychological issues for kids. Right. Because that is interesting to your point. I hear parents say that all the time. Like, well, I, I get so scared because if I have it in the house, that's all they're going to eat. And they're not going to eat anything else. And um, yeah, that is kind of like the all or nothing thinking of like, have it in there then you know, they're not going to eat anything else. And yeah, to your point, like, nobody's going to feel really physically good. Um, they're not going to think well, they're not going to have any energy, they're going to be sluggish. Right? Having a balance. Yeah. And I mean, I think when we don't, um, you know, offer a lot of food rules to kids, um, they're going to figure this out. And we want to, you know, I mean, some like family support and rules and always are valuable to young kids because it's a way that we provide structure and, and love essentially by, you know, having our homes not just be a free for all in every sense of the, the term. Um, but, but it's, uh, we, we overcomplicate some of this, I think, um, by feeling like we need to explain like nutritional information to kids we don't well and you know just because the books are focused on like body image too how much of this is uh, I guess also complicated because certain foods are I guess in our society tied to the fat phobic society we're in and like oh gosh if people eat these certain foods they're gonna look a certain way and you know you know bringing up the hot topic now of the pediatric guidelines coming up and I read them and 
their whole emphasis is on eating certain quote unquote healthy, quote unquote good foods and keeping kids from eating certain is determined as quote unquote bad foods and really having parents follow these guidelines they've set out and how much is this going to make this more complicated? Yeah, I think parents and kids have been getting that information from pediatricians, generally speaking, for a while. Um, I can remember challenging one of my own kids' pediatrician when they were really little about this. And um, she was surprisingly really open to talking about it then. But, you know, I remember saying, like, I have a sick kid here and she wants this kind of, I don't know what it was, like goldfish crackers or chips or whatever. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's not what's most important right now. Like, can we attend to other things here? And that's providing some comfort right now. And that's not what she eats all the time. But, you know, if we make it forbidden fruit, then that's all she's going to want. So that's not a great idea. Um, yeah, the pediatric guidelines are really concerning and problematic. And I, you know, had a really great conversation with a, a pediatrician who's at Johns Hopkins um, a few weeks ago, actually. And I thought when we started our meeting that we were going to be like at opposing sides of the issue. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go. We had uh, some colleagues in common, which is what led us to end up talking to one another. Um, but she has some concerns about the guidelines too. Okay. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And I think that, um, I think that there's, you know, obviously a lot of pushback. So we'll see how this plays out over time. Yeah. And that's why I was even more excited to have you on because these books are, you know, so pro body image for boys and girls. And I, you know, it was really nice to see that there's a book for boys as well, because that's so rare that we talk about how boys and their body image issues, because I think it's always more the focus on like girls and their body image. And um, I don't know if part of why you thought to write a book for boys is because you, um, you know, do you, did you think, oh, that's, something in our society that's needed or like kind of what was the impetus for you to also write a book for boys? Um, it was really interesting when I uh, wrote the proposal for the girls book, mm -hmm. the editor that I continued to work with on these books and I had a meeting and she said, I understand why the focus is girls for this mm -hmm. book, um, but how do you feel about a book for boys? And so right from the beginning, I was like, listen, I don't know how to put it all in one book because I knew I didn't want to cover puberty and some issues that were just going to be hard to, to make sort of mesh together, I thought, for a young audience. Um, and, and she was like, that's fine. She was like, you know, I have two sons, though. And I was like, no, I have a boy, too. She says, they need a book. I said, yep, they do. So right from the beginning, it was part of the plan. and. Um, the way books work is that in order to write more books, your first books have to sell well enough. <laughs> so fortunately, the girls book um, has, I guess, sold enough. Um, I try not to keep track of the specific numbers and those things because it stresses me out. But, um, you know, they, they green lit the, the boys book pretty early. Uh, just, I think, 
think before the girls book had been out very long at all, we were, we had moved on uh, to working on that. So it was always part of the plan. I mean, if you look at the data, we see that, um, you know, by, by adolescence, about 70% of boys are expressing dissatisfaction. They don't all want to be thinner, right? So it depends on what questions you ask them. If you ask boys if they want to lose weight, a lot will say no. Um, but if you're asking them a more varied set of questions about body image, a lot of them are trying to gain muscle. A lot of them are concerned about other elements of their appearance, even just things like height. Um, so um, I think those are important to address for that particular audience. And, you know, curious, when, when have you heard that, like, going back to the different genders, when have you heard that uh, girls versus boys start to have, like, real concerns or thoughts about wanting their bodies to be different? I mean, the first journal article I ever published was in 2000, and we looked at five-year-old girls, and we were already seeing 20% of them indicate some dissatisfaction with their bodies. Um, whether or not that was really what they were feeling or if they had just sort of internalized messages at home that this is what they should be feeling, I can't say. Um, but we know it starts younger than people tend to suspect. And then by adolescence, it just really starts to blossom because we have more concerns about peers and maybe significant others and sort of the social world starts to change, but also their bodies are changing a lot and not always in ways they want them to. Sometimes, you know, boys want to get bigger and taller and faster, but they're not. And, and girls have, you know, grown taller or bigger and they don't want to. So, you know, there's just a lot of um, sort of turmoil during that time, which doesn't mean that every adolescent is a mess. It just means that um, these issues kind of rise to the surface. You know, I, I often hear from my patients, you know, that are adults that if they were, let's say like the girl who grew taller or went through puberty first, that they had the body image issues like earlier on, or they felt like if they were the taller girl, they felt quote unquote bigger um, just because they were taller. And I don't know what you found or if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so early puberty for girls is a risk factor actually for a variety of mental health and even physical health concerns. So um, some of it seems to have a real biological basis that girls who go through puberty earlier actually tend to be shorter and heavier. And it's not clear why that is, but um, it seems to to happen. Um, we also know that girls who go through puberty earlier often attract attention from older boys and older peers even. And so that can place them in contexts where their bodies receive more scrutiny, their appearance may be um, more of a concern. So there's there's a lot that goes on, but puberty is definitely relevant. Mm -hmm. Okay. And anything you can speak to about girls who are maybe taller and, and their peers, especially boys? Um, well, I mean, we've all seen the pictures, right, of girls and boys at the same age and the girls like a head over the boy. Mm -hmm. um, and there can definitely be a few years where that's the case where girls are, are taller than even the boys and it can make them feel 
um, sometimes a little bit uncomfortable in their own bodies. Um, but usually that is a passing phase. So um, it's it's not necessarily a long-term problem. I think height so much mm-hmm. as all the other things that come with puberty. So how do we have a discussion that normalizes that phase of life? Because, you know, that seems to be like a very triggering stage of life, especially for girls, you know, their bodies are changing for when, you know, we first start seeing eating disorders, um, the behaviors, the thoughts, and how do we normalize like, okay, this is a normal thing that's happening to your body. You start to get squishy around the middle. You start to, you know, go from being a little girl to having a woman body. And instead of girls feeling like, oh, I have to stop this or like, this isn't okay. How do we say this is totally normal? This is your body being beautiful. And, you know, these are all normal changes. Like, how does that change? I mean, I think it's important to start to talk to kids before they're there, you know, to start to talk about health issues and even issues pertaining to puberty before it's relevant because one, it's just easier, mm-hmm. right? Like when it's really happening, there's a lot more emotion, I think, for both parents and kids. And so it can be much harder to have those conversations. Um, and it doesn't mean like you need to have any like version of quote unquote the talk when a kid is six or something. Um, but I think normalizing is exactly what we want to do. I love that word. Like just normalize communicating about health and how our bodies change and how we take care of ourselves um, in developmentally appropriate ways from a young age. And this is where some of the puberty books that are out there can be really helpful. You know, there's, in my opinion, there's really not too young of an age to have some of those books around. Um, I know that my daughter did read one of them and then go to a friend's house and start talking about it at one point um, when they were quite young. But Fortunately, that kid's dad was a pediatrician and we had a pretty similar view um, about just normalizing these conversations. So that can be slightly tricky territory because you don't want necessarily your kid to be like the instructor of the other kids. Sometimes things get lost in translation and other parents may not always feel super comfortable. Um, But I think that if you're comfortable talking about these things as a parent, then you are sending a really important message to kids that like this is normal and we can talk about it and you can even work on this is actually so cool what our bodies do like look at all the things our our bodies go through um i remember telling my own daughter at some point like you're born with all of your eggs isn't that amazing and then of course having to explain what that meant but she was like sure but I still think that's really cool. Like, I mean, that's just an amazing thing that like you're born already basically with, you know, if you want to have a child, the the egg that will form that child, like from the time you're born. Totally. Yeah. Like the body. I love that because the body is so amazing. And that it's you no, know, for me, it's disheartening that it's human. I hear so many people down their bodies and hating their bodies and wishing their bodies were so different and it's it's so rare to hear like oh I so appreciate that my body's allowing me to do this or you know that it's strong or yeah like all my eggs are here like (laughs) yeah like we don't do this this is not like the the vocabulary or the the language that happens and 
Why is that? No, I mean, I, you know, I taught the psychology of adolescence class at Rutgers University for many, many years. And I will admit when I first started doing that, I was in my 20s. And I mean, I had classes of students that weren't that much younger than me. And talking about some of this did feel pretty intimidating. Um, And maybe it's just all those years of practice that really made it easier for me. Um, Or maybe I think some of it, too, is that, you know, when you delve into it and have to explain it to other people, you have sort of a special sense of like, this is really cool. Like, this is pretty amazing, actually, that, you know, these processes start in our brain and, um, you know, that our, our height is 90% inherited, essentially, or our weight for that matter is often about 80% terrible. So, you know, like you, you think about sort of just the, the biology and what's going on that most people don't seem to I don't know, spend a lot of time appreciating. Um, but those are fun things to talk about. And even really little kids, I think, can kind of get into that if you have some like human body books around and some facts about you know, the human body. Even things like immunity is really cool to talk about. So. Yeah, focus on things about the body other than like appearance and weight. Oh, gosh, like, <laughs> what are we doing wrong? What's happening? I mean, we all get those cultural messages about appearance and weight. And so it's no wonder that we're responsive to them. Um, and our kids are going to see that. So like if we're, we don't really have to socialize that at all. You know, you don't have to worry about your kid, like not being interested in you know, fashion or hygiene even, because like, they're going to figure that out on their own yeah. um, for better and worse. And if they don't, for the most part, it's okay. I mean, not the hygiene piece, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think that focusing on more of the positive and just normalizing development is really interesting and our bodies keep changing. And, you know, I try not to be too disparaging about those changes with age even because, um, you know, we don't want to send that message either. And it's like all downhill at some point, even though certain days it does feel that way a little bit. Um, But, you know, I think there are are some things about getting older, even if our bodies are not um, quite as high functioning always that that's really cool and the sort of acceptance that can come with age and um, a sense of greater comfort with oneself is is something I think I appreciate and that you know I wish it hadn't taken me so long yeah so you know I'm curious like you said you had your daughter kind of looking at the the book before it was published and I'm wondering like what was her take on things and how much like her perspective on things have on the final draft yeah, so I've, I've gone through a really iterative process in working on all these book projects. So I have a third book coming out next year, almost done, and it's um, it's geared toward like later teens, young adults, so sort of where the first two books leave off, this one that I'm, is going to pick up. Um, but the process has been the same for all of them in that I draft um, the content, and then I have... Um, focus groups or during the pandemic, we went online to sort of have people, the target readership, read the chapters and offer feedback, ask questions. So 
Then I have my own students who are a little bit older or actually the target age of the, the next book, okay. read chapters. So there's a lot of like back and forth in terms of trying to get the content at the right level, mm-hmm. address questions that this age group has. Um, even though I think I remember what it was like to be 13, I mean, that was a pretty long time ago now. So I think it's really important to, to interact with your audience and, and make sure you're trying to give them what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so my daughter was one of the first readers, but certainly not the only one and not the last. Um, she was probably a little more brutally honest than some people. Um, and she really liked finding typos that felt like a sort of revenge, I think, for for any of the times I had helped her with homework. Um, but it was kind of cute, you know. Um, I think some of the anatomy she um you know, she was young for. So um like the sort of um vaginal anatomy in particular, I remember her like circling and writing yuck next to. And I just explained that there's nothing yucky. This is normal. Like you don't want to think about any part of your body is yucky. That's why it's going to be in the book. Um, so I think some of that can be surprising to kids, but, um, and, you know, it makes them giggle a little, but the, that doesn't mean they're not learning something. Um, I wish, I wish I had had those diagrams as a young kid, you know I mean? Otherwise, like, where do you get reliable information? I mean, our kids are Googling this stuff to, to understand their own anatomy and, you know, you don't want your kid like Googling like penis or something like it's, they're going to get a lot of things you don't want. So, I mean, I understand why sometimes parents are surprised to see pictures um, of anatomy in a body image book, but they're pretty tame in terms of what's out there in the world and they're informative. And so I don't apologize for those. No, it, even if they're not going to get it off the internet, they could hear it from peers and it could be very wrong, scary information that you really don't want them getting. Um, yeah. So it's great that your book has this information that's, it's good information that is age appropriate. Yeah. And they're not necessarily getting good information at school either. I mean, there is more than one state in the U.S. that actually the law is that like puberty health, sex ed information, the law actually states it does not need to be medically indicated. That's the law. So, yeah. (laughs) You know, so, I mean, that's what we're up against as parents. We're up against boys find porn on average by 11. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't really have that data for young girls, but it's not hard to find. Um, and their school doesn't have to give them medically accurate information in, in some states. And so, you know, you know, I I think books can can fill a real important place there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, not everyone's in a public school either, right? So there's private schools or people who are homeschooled. And so you just not every kid's getting the same information regardless. Yeah. I mean, I went to Catholic school. We didn't really get much of anything. Yeah. So I am curious, though, that, um, are these books meant to be, I guess, read with parents, or is it solely for, like, the kids to read on their own? 
I mean, I think if I had control over what happened, I would say, yeah, when your kid's about 10, read it with them. You know, it's, it's as good a bedtime reading as anything, I think. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to read it all the way through, like skip around mm-hmm. after at a time, whatever. Um, I routinely have adults or, and parents say that they learned a lot. That this wasn't information that they necessarily knew. Um, and I think that's an amazing compliment. Like, I love that, you know, yeah. that, that parents are learning things and then able to support their kids better um, because they have evidence-based information. Um, mm. But I also think, you know, if your kid's a little bit older or that just feels too awkward for you as a parent, um, my favorite trick is just leave books in their room. And then they'll say, you know, 90% of the time, they'll say, I'm not going to read this, you know, or they'll toss it aside because it looks like a school book or whatever to them. And then you'll find it open somewhere. <laughs> um, or you'll hear from their friend's mom that they were reading it or whatever. You know, I mean, um, kids can feel awkward and embarrassed too, but it, they're also very curious. So they, it doesn't take a lot to tempt them. No, this, yeah, if you, <laughs> I think that's true, right? Leaving it around and then they'll, they probably won't say anything read it so that's so true and I'm glad that there's I mean I'm glad you read the book like I was like I said I was so excited to have you on because um I think there are a lot of questions I do work with kids and families and there's so many questions there's so much misinformation out there on social media out there just I think people are confused and they're hearing the wrong things yeah but it's hard to know what the right things are. You know, if you don't do this for a living mm-hmm. and you grew up in a family that maybe did a lot of the wrong things, as probably most of our families did, honestly. Right. Um, I mean, how are you supposed to know? How are you supposed to sift through all the information out there? I think it's just really hard. Well, and I think a lot of people think they're doing loving, caring things coming from a really good place but what's actually happening is very damaging you know I hear it all the time like I'm just looking out for their health or I'm looking you know I heard this I read this and that's what I believe to be true and it's you know they don't realize the effects that it's having on their children you know or what they're role modeling and that to me is the scariest part it's like I understand this out there in the world, out there. And, you know, I love that your what's in your book are, it's evidence-based. It's actually the truth. It's, it's honest and it's what people need to have, you know, so they feel comfortable. They feel secure. You know, I'm a parent too. It's, you know, I do this for a living, but you know, if I didn't, I would want to know, okay, what's actually true? What's actually real? Because there is a lot of noise out there. How do you, like, to your point, how do you sift through it all? Yeah, I think it's just really um, tricky. It's amazing that we can all just get online and find information so easily. But, um, you know, and especially for younger people, you know, even my college students will tell me that, like, TikTok is a primary source of information for them. And um, 
I think there's some good information on TikTok. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think that, you know, kids are better informed about a lot of things um, because they have easy access to information. But there's also a lot of bad information on TikTok. Yeah. Um, and young brains are not very good at ignoring something that seems flashy or they want to believe or someone famous is saying. They just, you know, can't separate out some of the things that may draw them to a message from the inaccuracy of the message. Um, and even adults are not great at that. And so I think that, you know, we really need counterpoints to um, social media in general. And it's it's a lot for any parent to police. I'm not saying that like we need to, well, I mean, it would be great if there were more regulations, I think, in terms of kids' social media use. But I don't know that like the parent, we can we can necessarily do that perfectly because it would be a full-time job. Um, but we can work on that piece um, in part, but then also provide, you know, the accurate, the counter messages and, and just normalize conversation from a young age about these issues of, you know, anything important to you and your family, you don't have to wait until they're you know, 16 or an adult, um, you want to start young. So I'm curious, are your books um, being used in any schools or like, are they just more like private families buying them like individually or where are they being distributed? Yeah, I definitely have heard um, of some schools and even like an after school program recently had me come because they got a book for all of the kids. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and, and it was really cool too, because we had like a stack of the boys books and a stack of the girls books. And I came and talked with the kids for a little bit and then they could each get a book and I, you know, signed them and talked to them about it. And we let them pick whichever book they wanted, um, whichever gender what they felt they identified with. But it, it became clear at some point, like they were just like focused on the color of the cover. Some of the kids, it seemed like. So we left them with extra books in case they went home and was like, oh, wait a second, this isn't actually what I want. Um, but but it was it was really cool the way they had that set up. Um, and the books are actually published by um, Cambridge University Press, which is located um, in the UK. And um, it's had more, I think, infiltration of the school system in the UK. Um, they actually have a totally different sort of health curriculum than we do in the U.S. and they're actually supposed to talk about body image as part of it nice. um, and they have a really cool program called Reading Well where um, all school libraries um, have certain books that they include in their like curriculum that's meant to foster mental and physical health and so the books are part of that so they're in all the libraries in the, in the UK for kids so so there's there's been some you know, reach outside of just like private homes, which is really, really rewarding to see. Um, and I, I love talking with kids in, in school settings. So that's something I'm working on trying to do more of once I finish writing this, uh, getting this next book out into the world. That's awesome. Like, wow, can you get that here? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I just, I, I really love talking with, with like, especially young teens is probably my favorite age because I think that they're, just so inherently curious and often just have so many questions that adults 
are either just uncomfortable or kind of afraid to answer. And, um, and so that can be just really, I think really fun, you know, just to be the adult who doesn't mind saying like, here's the answer or, or it's okay to feel, you know, yucky sometimes like, yes, like to, you know, offer some sort of compassion and support also. Um, of course, yes, adults feel confused too. Like we don't all know what we're doing either. So I don't know, it can be uh, a lot of fun. Like I said, I hope to get into um, more schools in the, in the coming years. Yeah, because I was just, as you were talking, thinking, gosh, this would be great to have in the schools as part of, you know, the health component of things or health class. Um, what a valuable resource. Absolutely. So, yeah. So glad you wrote that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we could do health education a lot better than we do. Um, I mean, uh, I'm not going to call out any particular schools, but over the years, I've heard some of my patients saying very scary things about like health teachers having them write down their food logs and saying sugar's bad and all of these things that are out there in the toxic diet world that like, these are very impressionable young people hearing these things and this is what they're getting educated on. And what, like what's happening? This is not okay. This is very much like perpetuating very bad messages and scaring people about food. And uh, yeah, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I've written a little bit about this in recent years and, um, and hope to write about it more in the future as well, because it's, it's sort of a, hot button issue to me too and um you know I think most most teachers are certainly well-meaning most of them enjoy kids and enjoy what they're doing and oftentimes are constrained by some curriculum that's either state or school district mandated so sometimes they don't even have real control over what they're supposed to be talking about Mm -hmm. um but you know I do wish that that it went differently I wish that a lot of things didn't happen. There's still a lot of weighing kids in school, um, which, you know, I, I will say, like, I remember when that started and it was in response to research suggesting that parents were really bad at estimating their kids' weight and health risk. And so, you know, we had a different framing in the early 2000s about that. And Um, and it was, it was in part like, well, we need some other source to provide information that's objective to families. And so I think it really truly was well-intentioned. It's not like schools set out to humiliate kids in front of their friends. Um, there was, there was, you know, a a well-meaning, I think, sentiment, but we have data now that suggests that this is a really bad idea. Um, it has not played out well. It hasn't done anything that people thought it would do. Um, it does humiliate kids. It is just really not the right setting, um, for, for this sort of a thing to take place. Um, and it can be really damaging. I mean, I'm sure you hear all the time, as do I, kids talk about, you know, will we'll come and say like the first time I went on a diet was, or 
the first, you know, time I started thinking about skipping a meal or whatever. And these are the kind of moments, you know, being late at school or having a pediatrician say something when there's an authority figure who you trust, who then imparts information or offers some feedback that's really shaming. You can really go downhill from there. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. Um, you know, we, you know, we're sharing, I, I have a teenage daughter too. And I remember getting a notice from her school uh, saying they were going to start doing, or they were going to do a weigh-in and I just went ballistic and I went, oh my gosh. Cause I flashed back to my own memories of that happening in like sixth grade going, oh, that was awful. Right. And I've shared with the audience, like I had my own eating disorder and that was definitely something that was in there, a triggering moment. And I just, I wrote a nasty gram and thank gosh, the, honestly, the pandemic happened shortly, like that thereafter. So that didn't occur. Um, so one thing I was grateful for, but I just, are they still doing this? What's yeah. happening? Yeah, there's, there's still a lot of it. I mean, I'm sure it's something that varies by state. Um, there's a lot of weighing. Some of it comes up in terms of um, sports too. For certain sports, there's weighing and weight classes even. And um, yeah, most of it's really problematic. It's really, um, I'm not really sure why my schools haven't gotten this message loud and clear. Um, you know, I think that People are resistant to change. You've been doing something one way for a long time and you think you're doing something that's good or conducive to, to health promotion. And so you don't want to change, but you know, once you see data suggests what you're doing is harmful, then one would hope that that would be enough. Um, well, I mean, you know, things are quick are not quick to change, they're very slow to change, even. Like I have adult patients who will not go to the doctors just solely because they know they're going to get weighed. And even though I've said you don't have to get weighed, they're still very hesitant and yeah. don't feel like they can ask, say that or ask for that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the BMI is still utilized and I don't know why, but hopefully one day that will be gone. But that's very triggering too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's just, it's, it's slow. I think that I'm, I'm hopeful though. I've been um, collaborating with a really cool organization called Be Real and um, they do a lot of programming for schools and it's, it's a very sort of inclusive um, programming in every sense of the word inclusive in terms of, you know, gender, age, you know, they're, they're really working on some, some really, really cool, I think, hopefully very effective programming. Um, and they've also been really good about doing research so that they know if it's effective or not. Um, so I've been really excited to be um, just recently getting involved with them and talking with them about how to expand the curriculum. Um, it was body image focused initially, but then um, they were getting feedback from teachers that they did want more nutrition related information. And so then it's, you know, okay, how do we offer some nutrition information, but have it be framed in a way that's 
conducive to both mental and physical health and body positive. And um, so that's sort of the way I've approached it in my books as well, or the way I've tried to approach it is. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think when you hear about organizations like that doing this work and often, you know, it's not like they're making a profit or anything. I mean, this is just people who are really passionate about these issues and really want you know, to make things better for the next generation. But I always find that inspiring. It kind of helps to keep me going yeah. Um, because, um, yeah, it's not like any of us are making a lot of money or something off of this, uh, these projects. <laughs> They're passion projects. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm very hopeful that, you know, people hearing, you know, about your books today will, you know, anyone who's got some, Preteens, tweens that will go out and search out your books and it'll be very helpful for them and you know your upcoming books for the older teens. I'm excited for those too. So um I'm sure people listening are going, okay, how do we find these things? <laughs> how do we get in touch with you or you know, find your books? Um so how how can they do that? Yeah, so um you can just go to the bodyimagebookforgirls.com or the bodyimagebookforboys.com. All my contact information is there. Information about the books are there. The books are on Amazon and pretty much anywhere. Um, And you can message me if you have questions. And if you do have a a school that is uh, interested in having me come, like I said, I am hoping to do more of that um, in the years ahead. Um, Schools sometimes have parent groups. That's also really fun. I've done some of that just even over Zoom. the pandemic has helped us, I guess, in that sense, and that we've all gotten much better at figuring out how to communicate virtually. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Thank you so, so much for all this information and for writing these books. They're much needed. So um, any last final words before we end? No, thanks for everything that you're doing, too, to just get some really um, both psychologically and physically healthy sorts of messaging out to um, your audience well you know like I said there's so much misinformation out there like I know I'm a small little voice but whatever I can get out there and have people like yourself who are spreading the right information you know if we can start doing that more that's that's the goal right so right just got to put a little dent sort of chip away at the misinformation and um and see what we can do for for the next generation and those of us who have been damaged by some of the sort of old-fashioned messages, we can also um, work on ourselves in ways so that we can be happier and healthier. Well, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.